This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, London is Blue fans. This is a foreign episode for you, I bet, right off the bat. It's editor, producer Jake, hosting. No Brandon, no Dan, no Nick. It's me, baby. I'm back in action. It's probably been six to eight months since I've hosted a podcast. And if you're watching the YouTube, there's visuals too, which is incredibly foreign. I don't think I've ever had any kind of visual appearance on the podcast to date. So hello. And guess who I'm here with? I'm here with CFC Central, aka Sam, because that's right. It's time for a match preview pod. Uh, We are facing uh, the the London Derby, Arsenal, our, our neighbors who are doing a little bit better than we would like, but... I'm confident. I don't know about Sam, but I I think there's a little bit of magic in the water when it's Chelsea versus Arsenal. What do you think, Sam? How are you feeling? Initial thoughts. Hey, always good to have you on the podcast. I mean, I know most of the times you're doing all of the the leg work and and all the hard work that people don't see. So great to have you and your voice on the podcast. It's always an honor for all of us. And we get to have fun and, and do this our way, you know, without the supervisors telling us what to talk about. So it's fun. Um, but yes, I mean, um, our London rivals tend to be doing a little bit better than we would want them to do. Um, unfortunately, our fortunes in terms of head-to-head isn't really good either. In the last two years, we haven't beaten them. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I feel a little bit of stuff changing in the wind. I mean, if I can be that optimistic and saying, you know, we, we stand a pretty good chance. It's going to be extremely tough. But um, yeah, we've got one more guy at the helm now who hates Arsenal as much as we do. So hoping that translates into a lot of fire. Yeah, you got to hope that coming from a Tottenham side, he's also got that hatred that we like to see when it comes to Arsenal. But this weekend is definitely going to be interesting. I mean, we come into this match, the obvious, uh, the obvious not favorites. (laughs) But you never know. It's a derby. We're getting our swag back a little bit. But before we talk about all that, before we talk about the match, uh, we want to just give a thank you to y'all. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting the show. And we've started to do this thing recently. If you've been watching or listening, whether you're on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes, wherever you may be, we've been asking for a little more help. Uh, it's not something we've been the best at historically because we feel a little weird asking for your help. But as we continue to grow our platforms lately, you can help us out a lot, especially on YouTube, where we've been having a huge boost in uh, content. I've been editing <laughs> there, which is not something I used to do. And we've been basically putting almost every episode on there. So if you haven't been looking there, go look there. If you want to see my face, I have a mustache right now. I don't usually have a mustache. This is my good luck mustache. So go check us out on there. We're about to hit 30K subscribers and we're really, really pushing for it. So help us out there. And... Also, we have a newsletter, uh, Sam, doing fantastic work there. You're not just doing these great podcasts, but you're also doing great work there in writing. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I always tell people I've got a face made for radio, so I tend to stay off YouTube. I tend to make sure that, you know, I stick to my guns and do what I'm good at. So um, trying to basically get this experiment underway where we uh, find the most interesting things that have happened during the week. Obviously, we've done feature pieces like talk about Mudrik and then we've also done little interesting stories about lesser known players making professional journeys into football. So it's just, you know, right now it's just, if in case you've been disconnected from the football, good time to catch up. 
maybe just in between week to have something with your morning cuppa. So yeah, hopefully it'll be a regular feature for uh, for all of us going forward. So hopefully I can keep it up and uh, give you something nice to think about. And I will say, if you haven't checked that out, if you're somebody who hasn't made the Patreon trip, the Discord trip, the newsletter trip yet, I couldn't recommend it more. Very high reviews from everybody in the Discord. I've enjoyed reading everything. So check it out. Give it a try. It's it's not a tough thing to do if you want to give us a little bit of extra love. And we so heavily appreciate it. So if you want to try that out, find our links to that in the description. But all right, Sam, we're going we're gonna to start this off. We're going to start talking about the dreaded match for most. I'm not going to say dreaded. I'm a confident man. Uh, if, you, if you've seen my episodes where I'm on, you know I come with a little bit of confidence. Sometimes it's ignorance, maybe. Um, but, you know, ignorance is bliss, <laughs> they say. Uh, but the reality is that we're going against a bit of a beast right now in Arsenal. Um, they've rarely messed up in recent performances. I mean, we're talking about a 4 nothing win to PSV, a big draw against Tottenham, who are top of the table with them right now. Uh, easy win over Brentford, Bournemouth. One loss to Lens, a rare misstep for them, uh, which kind of created the shakiness, I think, for a minute there. But uh, obviously, a big win over City this past week with a Martinelli late winner. Kind of changed the vibes a little bit. I will say, watching that match, I was really hoping they would lose to give us a little more excitement, a little more confidence going into this. But just uh, just off the bat, what do you kind of feel about Arsenal's season so far with their slight bumps recently, but obviously very big performances when it comes to results? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we, we did have a lot of assessments to make post there. Um, I would say acrimonious collapse at the end of last season where they were looking like they were going to to make a genuine push for the title and um, it just ended up falling apart at the last moment. I think they've addressed some of those weaknesses. They were lacking depth in certain situations. So they went out and got one of the best, uh, I would say, defensive-minded central midfielders in the world. So Declan Rice has been doing phenomenally well for them. Uh, they've also addressed some other key areas. So as a side, I would say they look less threatening, interestingly, than they did last season, but they also look more solid. They look like they have learned from a lot of what happened last season. They know how to to grind out games and and win the points when things are not going their way. And that's a little more frightening than a side that, you know, just wins 4-0, 5-0 every week and then doesn't know what to do at the first sign of adversity. So I think we come to them at an interesting juncture. Because I, I do honestly, genuinely believe this is going to be the biggest test we've faced um, arguably over the past seven or eight months. This is counting a preseason as well. I think this is going to be one of the hardest games we've uh, we've gone through for multiple reasons that people discuss. Uh, I've actually gone back to watch um, about two or three of their games. I watched the game against Tottenham. I watched the games against Lons in, in the Champions League that they, that they did not win. The only one that they did not win this current season, they're unbeaten in the Premier League. And obviously the game against Manchester City, which, I mean, uh, they were lucky to win, but uh, kudos to them. They just kept on pushing. So I think it's going to be a very interesting match. Could go extremely wrong for us, could go extremely right for us. But I think that's why the excitement in the air. I think, um, you know, this this could be um, not just a statement if we win. It could be an exclamation mark. So um, hoping to make that happen. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it really is a toss-up. And when you look at their past performances, we we are easily scared, I think, when seeing that undefeated record. But 
like you've said, the game against Lens is a rare mishap. You never know what's kind of in the water there, um, especially since they've looked a little less lethal at times, even if they've kind of had a more consistent, uh, I would say, throughout the match performance. I think they have moments where they're maybe making more mistakes up front or or making more mistakes in the back. Um, speaking of their squad, too, uh, we do have some big injuries. Obviously, Timber's still out. Trossard uh, with a big injury in City's match, uh, pulling up his hamstring, uh, which actually for them ended up kind of working out, Martinelli coming in his place. Um, and then Saliba and Saka are still doubtful, much like our very own Reese James and uh, Benoit, who have reappeared in training, but uh, who knows what the deal is there. Uh, it's it's kind of a toss-up on whether or not some of these players will be in the match. Do you have any thoughts on how that could affect the match, you know, these big names missing or not missing the match, uh, particularly Saka, Saliba, Reese James? Do you have any thoughts on any of those guys? Yeah, massive, massive miss for, for Arsenal. If it happens, um, it's definitely going to be, I, I would say, near catastrophic for them because both of those guys have been easily their key players. Um, Saka in particular... Uh, he went off injured against Lons, uh in the Champions League. And after that, Arsenal panicked a little bit. They made sure Fabio Vieira came in on the right-hand side. He did not do well. And then they moved Capital Jesus to the right-hand side against Manchester City. And, and that did not go well either. So not having a depth option for Bukayo Saka, I think, could come back to bite them. They've obviously gambled on the fact that he's had an incredibly clean injury record for the longest time. But... Um, you know, if, if this aggravates or gets more worse by, by the time uh, we sort of like figure out if the news is true, that he he will be out on the sidelines longer, um, it could it could derail all the good work that they've done. But Saliba, for example, is, I would say, peak Liverpool without Van Dyke kind of uh, miss. You know, they, they have come to rely on him to anchor all of their chaos in the back line. They've, they're pushing forward more adventurously than they have in the in the past, just knowing that they've got somebody like Saliba in the back line because he is an absolute beast 1v1. He's uh, genuinely near impossible to to dominate in, in across the ground, in the air. Just looks extremely good. So um, in attack and in defense, if you're going to lose your, your key players, then it's going to be definitely a more even competition from us. You know, would turn us from under puppies to underdogs. And uh, hopefully we can we can capitalize on that. But on the other side, you know, a slightly foolish way of, I, I mean, most people would interpret it foolishly, but I would wish that both of them are fit because then it allows us to test ourselves against a fully fit Arsenal. You know, you don't want to give them an excuse saying, oh, we didn't have our star players. You want to go there and you want to compete against the strongest team and you want to pull out a good result. You know, at this point, even a draw would do, do really, really well for our confidence saying that, look, this is where we are. So I hope they're fit and I hope they're they're raring to go and willing to go and, and I hope that we can uh, give them a good fight at least. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. I think it does a lot for us to play a good squad. Um, we're not exactly the best against bad squads in the past anyways. So maybe having some better players out there will motivate a little something special. But yeah, I don't think it can be understated how much Saliba is probably at least in many fans' perspective, the most important player on that squad this season. Um, I don't think there's many players you'll hear more about, even with the additions of Declan, obviously the controversial Kai Havertz and, and others. I think Saliba has been the name that Arsenal fans do not want to see on the injury sheet. 
especially alongside Sokka. All right. We're going to quickly take an ad break. This is everybody's favorite part of the show. I know you go get to listen to the guys talk about some great sponsors who keep this show running at all times. So thank you so much to them. And we will be right back with some more talk on Arsenal's style of play and how we can exploit it. All right. We're back in action to talk about Arsenal's style of play. Now, you may be listening to this and think, I thought this was a Chelsea podcast. We're talking about how to break this down, baby. We need to know what they're doing and what Poch can do to break that down. So, Sam, we're going to talk a little bit about how Arsenal has created this kind of monster of a team uh, over the last few years and what they're doing on the field itself to make it happen. Um, so we, we've talked a little bit about the squad. We've talked about the new players that have come in. We've talked about how they've solidified the depth a little bit. But what can you tell me about how they're utilizing a style of play to beat big opposition like City last week? Yeah, it's, I think, um, an extremely successful version of the now oft-hated term, trust the process. Uh, they've been through a lot of ups and downs. You know, I think at some point, if Mikel Arteta would have been sacked, nobody would have complained because it just looked like it wasn't going anywhere. But props to their hierarchy, props to their fans, um, the wise ones who, who stood by and said, no, something is happening behind the scenes and we need to sort of stick with it. Uh, but they've been working on it for about three and a half, four years now. And I think now they're sort of reaching where they wanted to be, consistently challenging for the title. Um, last season, like I mentioned, there was a little bit of a, a stumbling block where they came close, but then injuries and then there was exhaustion and fatigue and then just lack of depth. And then that just led to all sorts of issues at a crunch time in in um, the title race. And when you're going up against an absolutely devastating outfit like Manchester City, every little bit just comes back to haunt you. And, and that's exactly what happened. But um, right now, we've discussed that they are unbeaten in the league. They sit second behind Tottenham. They have the joint best defense in the Premier League with Manchester City. So all of those issues are, are a big, big plus for them. Uh, they've also added quality depth with uh, Julian Timber. Unfortunately, he's injured long term. Uh, they've also upgraded the midfield. Massive, massive upgrade with Declan Rice. So he's basically just been uh, their ball-winning machine. And, and they've and, done uh, all... Can I just say a, a less massive upgrade in Kai Havertz? <laughs> just, just want to add that. Hopefully he doesn't come back to bite me in the ass this weekend when I say that, but we'll just, just a little. I mean, spending 60 million on a player that might be the closest to bring them to a Champions League. I mean, that's that's the only way they can settle that we have a player who's won the Champions League. This is pay true. Money for it. I, I'm not going to lie. So, you know, so I would feel yes. I think he's, he's definitely been a massive, massive plus. All the games that I've seen, uh, he's been tremendous. He's been absolutely vital in the way that they've played. So um, I, I would say that in midfield, they look much stronger than they did last season and look much more solid overall. Um, I would say tactically, they are sort of sticking to a very tried and tested 4-3-3. They tend to go, you know, the conventional 3-2-5, 2-3-5 positional way of attacking. They've got Zinchenko on the left side, who's capable of stepping into midfield. Ben White on the right is also capable of, of stepping into midfield and, and coming inside. So they tend to cause issues that way. Um, I would say that, you know, most of the times they're also looking to overload one side before quickly switching to the other. And they tend to do this a lot with Saka, who is tremendously good 1v1. So what they'll do is essentially get Rice, get Martinelli, a lot of the other guys in the left-hand side, 
and then they'll quickly switch it to Saka and, and get him 1v1 with the opposition fullback. You've also got something like a Martin Odegaard who's positioning himself close to um, the left-sided centre-back and the left-back of the opposition and sort of pinning those two players back so Saka gets a little more space to receive. So these little tweaks to to maximise what I would say is fantastic power, supremacy at, at 1v1 on their flanks is something that they're very, very strong at. Saka sometimes tends to give you in, in even when he's 2-on-1 um, you know, against the opposition defence. So he's he's definitely going to be a big miss if he doesn't make it. But Martinelli on the other side, also very, very good. So I would say the flanks are extremely dangerous. Um, they've also got this very nice tendency of, because they're playing on, you know, they're inverted in terms of being a right-footed player on the left-hand side and a left-footed player on the right-hand side. They tend to attack the pylon and then zip in these cutbacks into the central zone for Martin Odegaard, who's got some very, very good shooting. So tend to create double threat. You know, they can attack and make sure they can shoot while cutting in on their stronger foot, but they can also cut back to the central zone, uh, which can be devastating. So that's very interesting. Uh, technically, we also talk about their centre-forward position. They've generally liked to play with Gabriel Jesus who has not really found, I would say, his optimal shooting boots, but he does work extremely hard. He makes, makes their press better, their counter-press better, tends to shift a lot to the right-hand side, so he vacates the center. And I think that was the thinking about getting somebody like a Harvards to, to ghost into those spaces and, and attack the ball. So a lot of the times when I was watching their games, you could see the idea where Gabriel Hazes basically moved to the right, and then Odegaard chipped a ball over for Harvards, who was running in from deep. So... You're trying to find that elusive runner into the box to try and, and grab a couple of goals um, when no one's watching. So that's also a really nice you know, switch in terms of how the system works. Everything seems to be well thought out by, by Mikel Arteta. And I think you know, credit to him, he's, he's made such a, a good side out of it. I would also sort of echo something that John McKenzie from T4 has said, that um, they're arguably one of the best. He said the best, but I would say one of the best out-of-possession sides in the world. It just look like every element of their side when not having the ball tend to work for the unit. Extremely hardworking, supremely disciplined, they're intelligent workers, and they tend to move like one machine. Nobody's trying to do something on their own, which is what is very noticeable to see. And once they go back into their settled defensive shape, uh, they've done 4-4-2. They've also done... 5-4-1, uh, 5-3-2, 5-2-3 against Lons. Um, and they get into that shape, then they're very, very hard to breach. It's just they've got nice, solid players. When Declan Rice drops into the defensive line, they've got they've got Rice, they've got Gabriel, and they've got Sariba protecting the box. So that's a formidable trio to get past, I would say. So once they do retreat and, and they have to defend, they defend well. And you know, when they are in a shape where they're able to win the ball back and transition quickly, they do that as well. So yeah. you've got a side which is able to threaten and able to sit back and, and absorb pressure, which is the archetype or the prototype of the ideal side. So um, overall, very strong side. Interestingly, 10 of their 16 PL goals have also come in the second half. So they do get stronger as the game goes on. That's something that we have to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I think that's that metric is such a good uh, just visualization of the hard work that they bring. Uh, I will say that the one thing that I, I watched their games and I noticed is that attacker side ability to press at all times in a fluid motion. And it, it is it is brutal, uh, especially for a lot of teams that aren't used to playing at that high speed all match. Um, 
And when they are defending, like you said, it's it's just you're going against a Declan Rice and a Saliba who are in prime form right now. So it's 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 a beast. Yeah, I think you really do have to work hard against this team if you want to keep up and you have to be fit. And uh, thankfully, I, I like to hope that our Pochettino side is notoriously been practicing for that. So hopefully we can see a little bit of work there. But yeah, it's they're a beast, man. I think especially what you stated about their ability to isolate players on the wing and play a head-on, just running at defenders' attack. It's something that they have a unique ability to do, especially through players like Saka and Martinelli. Uh, and that terrifies me. I won't lie. I am <laughs> glad that Reese James is touching grass, and maybe we'll get to see him uh, for that exact reason. So, But all that said, we've talked about what they're good at. This is what I really want to talk about. What are they not so good at, Sam? Like, where, like, you know... They can be good or whatever, but like, what are they bad at? If they're bad at anything, but at this point, I wouldn't say they're bad at something. Damn. To be honest, I think, <laughs> be, <laughs> I think that would be doing them a, a massive disservice. I think there are some issues, yes, that pop up from time to time, and when you're facing a very strong, formidable unit, then I would say then these are the windows that you have to exploit. You just have to see your opportunity to get in and you need to throw yourself out the glass. So I think those are certain opportunities that will make themselves known. Um, I would say one thing that I've noticed consistently is uh, they're not the best side in the air. So um, when I was looking at their success percentages, it's around 47.6. Just to give you context, we are somewhere around 66. So that's obviously a a 20% jump in in optimal ability to, to compete in the air. But what I do find very interesting is that a lot of sides have figured out that they're not good when competing for second balls in the air. So Brentford, for example, they tend to do this to a lot of people because they have a set pieces playbook, but they had a lot of success aiming throw-ins, going long, straight into the box, and then finding somebody who can position themselves at the edge of the box and take mm-hmm. shots. So they just had somebody in that zone 14 as a you know, tactics say, and then at the edge of the box, just in front of goal, the second ball would come there and, and you want to have like a first time volley or just smack it towards goal. And that was the, the game plan. Uh, Lawns had a couple of good opportunities from from that as well. There was a nice cross that I think came back to Kevin Danso, who's a centre-back, and he chested it and there was literally no pressure and he smacked it, but it just went wide of, of Raya's left post. So there is a lot of success, I would say, from winning second balls. Uh, we don't have the tallest front line but I do think that if there is a chance of putting something in the box against a side that is a little nervous about competing, I think we can make inroads. And especially with the fact that we we tend to go with like three pretty sturdy, good in the air center backs in Disasi, Coldwell, and Thiago Silva. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance that one of them at least gets a little breathing space against the rest. So um, I would say there's a good opportunity for us to exploit that, provided we do it. You know, provided you get enough set pieces in and around the box. I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, I would also say that they're sort of a little susceptible to maybe committing too many players around the box. There are times when um, they've got six, seven players. Rice is very good defensively. He's an incredible ball-winning midfielder, but uh, he has this tendency of sort of floating to the edge of the box on the left-hand side. So sometimes Arsenal can end up over-committing and leave spaces where you can exploit them on the transition. So I think there's also sort of to do with how confident they feel with Saliba at the back. Um, they've also got like Rice in midfield. So 
they obviously feel very confident in terms of whatever comes in transition, we will foil it. So there are opportunities for us to exploit those things if that happens. And a lot of sites have done that. Tottenham, for example, tend to do it very, very well. So um, that was something to take note of. And the third is probably related to the second point. I think um, it was Jurgen Klopp who said that it's sort of like counter-counter. The term um, immediately following a counter-attack is a counter-counter. So it's sort of this little moment when a team has won the ball back and they're trying to transition. And then because they're trying to transition very quickly, they end up losing the ball. So there's this small window where, you know, you're caught between two transitions and Arsenal tend to do it a lot. I think they want to be very vertical and uh, want to explode as soon as they win the ball back, which they do often in midfield, but they end up losing it within two or three seconds. And that's the window when they're at their most vulnerable. And uh, this has happened multiple times. Lawrence did it to them multiple times. Tottenham did it to them an extremely high amount of time where they just lost the ball for fun. There was, Zinchenko sort of being caught in the ball, Jorginho being caught twice. Uh, there was a square pass that that just went to a Tottenham player after they won the ball back. So it does seem like they lack a little bit of, um, I would say, composure, uh, a little bit of recycling the ball. They just want to be very quick with it. So maybe there we have an option of exploiting them. So I think those three things, obviously, you want to, to exploit. And although a lot of Arsenal fans will tell you that they're, defense is very strong. I think if you put Mudrik against Ben White or if you put Raheem Sterling against Zinchenko, uh, there's a good chance that our players come back on top. You know, there is a chance of sort of overwhelming them on on 1v1 situations. Uh, we do have players who can cause that kind of damage. So, so I think we should try and exploit that as well. So four things maybe to take care of um, yeah. and, and hopefully we will exploit it as much as we can. Yeah, I couldn't agree more too about the the concept that they kind of are very counter counterable. Uh, I think that pretty much every match I've seen them play in the last year, they've overcommitted so crazily on counterattacks because of probably because of that that urge to be the one that wins the ball back and then score. You know, they kind of have that chase it down and get it mentality that we've already talked about their ability to keep that press all match. And I think sometimes that leads to an overconfidence and overcommitment because they feel like they have to work a little harder than they do. Um, especially if a player like Jorginho is on the pitch, I think that that is a weakness that's susceptible. Uh, <laughs> if there's somebody no, in that midfield that can kind of give the ball up on a counter mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, I think that's a very, very good point for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I would like to point out, it's an interesting fact. I don't know if some people will interpret it positively or negatively. Um, but Arsenal are, I would say, pretty disciplined, pretty tidy. So in terms of their foul count, they've got the second least fouls in the Premier League. And they've got fourth least yellows. Obviously, when you adjust for possession, um, you know, those stats sort of like are skewed. But in terms of like, if you're losing the ball in transition, you would want your side to at least, um, you know, pick up those technical fouls, pick up those yeah. yellows, that you're you're sort of diffusing those tense situations. I think Arsenal don't do that. Uh, credit to Declan Rice because he's he's a very clean ball winner, but the rest of the guys tend to be a little like lacking behind that sort of um, dark arts. What I would say is just you know foul people, get the yellow, you know, make sure that you're get, getting them on the halfway line and not allowing them to snowball their attacks to a point where it just gets devastating. So I think they lack a little bit of. Um, 
a little bit of the dirty play like Pochettino says, but um, you know, good for us if he can if he can exploit that, if he can make sure that um, those situations sort of amplify and are not stopped, then I think it gets better for us as the game goes on. Yeah, especially when you have somebody like Raheem Sterling who has been able to dribble at defenses pretty well this season. I think that's a very good point that either he's going to manipulate that uh, lack of a, a dirty play or he's going to create the dirty play. Uh, because at the end of the day, you're going to have Raheem dribbling at you. Um, whether or not he's getting past you or getting fouled, he'll find a way. He's got to be top. We don't have the stat, but I'm assuming he's got to be top 15 most fouled players in the league this year. Um, probably. I'll look into that after, and somebody will flame me in the comments if I'm wrong. But I can probably find that for you before the podcast. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we can come back to that. But all right. Yeah. Sounds good. I think that is going to bring us in to Potch's approach. So, how do you think that Potch is going to try to utilize what we've just spoken about and their weaknesses to create a, a win, to create a, a good attack for Chelsea? Yeah. Interestingly, I think. Uh, when we talk about the approach for this game, uh, there could be some interesting options, but I think, you know, Poch will be grateful that he has his hands tied in terms of options. We are missing a lot of players through injury, so he he genuinely has to just go on and play those players. Uh, like, for example, if you we were talking about, say, Saka being fit, then keeping somebody like a Ben Chilwell on left wing would have been quite the interesting situation. Because yeah. what Lons did in their game was they effectively dropped into a 5-4-1 as quickly as possible. And what that did was that it allowed you to have two men on either wing. So they were basically marshalling both the, the flanks and then making sure that Saka was 2v1 again. And on the, on the other side also, you know, they've got that extra bit of security to make sure that they, there's no penetration through the flank. So... If you've got somebody like a Chilwell to provide that extra bit of protection to Levi Colwell, uh, you don't want to hang him out to dry against Bukayo Saka 1v1. And that's that's definitely going to be a concern. Yeah. But to his credit, Misha is also sort of doing um, a lot of the dirty work. He's learning to sort of come and give his players a lot of support. Um, and hopefully he can continue that. I mean, he's definitely going to have to do that in this game. And I, the faster he realizes that some of his best moments in a Shakhtar shirt came when he was closer to his own goal rather than, you know, closer to the opponent's goal. He gets more yeah. space, more time to dribble through people. He gets more space to run into. I think if he finds that there's a double-edged benefit to doing that, then obviously it's going to be very good. But I think Chilwell would have been an interesting option. But considering Misha has been scoring, his confidence is on the up. I think, I'm going to say it, I think that he is going to be an underrated uh, master of the dark arts in this game. Maybe not a master. Maybe we'll call him a, a prince of the dark arts. But like we've said, it's it's a clean team in Arsenal this season. They haven't really mm-hmm. been committing the fouls. And I, I think Misha brings kind of a, a, a fierceness uh, and a, a want to win. And obviously he's already got a little bit of Arsenal drama. So I think we could see him find a little feat in that. He also has a personal stake in the game, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. I mean, he yeah. almost signed for them. And uh, there was this interesting moment, um, I think, on international duty where um, he was going into the team bus and an Arsenal fan basically asked him for a picture. And as soon as the picture was done, he said, London is red. And Misha basically said, then why did you take the picture? So I think he's fired up. He's got a lot of like heat from Arsenal fans. I, I really hope he's able to channel that into like a performance for the ages. So I think, like you said, you know, dark arts be damned. I hope we get like Lord Voldemort absolutely <laughs> going at, at Arsenal at full pace. 
And coming off a great performance, too. It can't be understated. I mean, he, he should be coming into this match feeling pretty good after a, a great first goal for Ukraine this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be sort of like on the fence and say it was against Malta. Um, but I mean, Which first goal for your country, first goal for your country is your first goal for your country. Yeah. It's special irrespective of whether it comes against, you know, any country. So I think, like you said, it, that euphoria of having scored his first Chelsea goal and his first Ukraine goal back to back very, very quickly, um, definitely adds a lot of good things to him. Uh, Poch has been giving him a lot of a supporting arm saying that, you know, you need to, to build yourself up. So hopefully it just comes to a point where he's willing and and ready to take on these big games. I think there's still a little bit of time before we see the best of him in, in games of these caliber, but I'm hoping that this um, proves me wrong and he ends up showing that he is ready to to take these games by the scruff of the neck and and give his best. So I'm optimistic, but um, really, really hoping that that he can turn it around. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So moving into kind of our midfield area, do you think that our midfield is going to be a little tired from, again, an international break, which mm-hmm. has it's notoriously kind of held our midfield in a very important place when they leave? Obviously, Enzo going off to Argentina is an incredibly important figure there. Caicedo is practically carrying the Ecuadorian national team with Kendry Piaz, it seems. Every day I see them play, it's just clips and clips and clips of them committing magic. I don't I don't know what they're doing over there. I'm I'm hoping we can get a little more of that in the future at Chelsea. But do you think that our midfield comes into this match a little step back or do you think that they're ready for this match especially being such a big opponent in a midfield of Odegaard and Declan Rice notably especially being pretty tough opponents. How do you think that that matchup is going to go for us? Yeah, I'm a big believer in the small factors to be honest. I think um when I looked at the first international break when both of them returned, obviously there were visible knock-on effects. Enzo particularly apparently said that he did not want to be benched. And he came back from Bolivia, which is La Paz is at an ungodly altitude. And when you come back, it's just disorienting. So um, obviously just looked out of pace and his performance levels drop uh, you know, off a cliff. I was just talking to a couple of friends before the podcast and I think he was one of the top creators like short creators in the league before he went uh, off to to Bolivia he was he had 11 key passes in in three games or four games and then when he came back he had like one in the next four and it just looked like he was struggling physically it just looked like he was off a little bit didn't look like his his vibrant self you know given the Pochettino touch of magic in preseason so I'm a little I'm a little afraid that this might take away some of the physical effort that we come to see from both those midfielders. And uh, yeah, Declan basically played against Italy. He played, um, I don't know if he played, no, he didn't play against, he didn't start against uh, Australia. So um, it was Connor and Henderson who started uh, against Australia. So he's only played one game. <clears throat> Odegaard was on duty for Norway. Uh, I, I was watching that game, but I don't know how many minutes he played. So... Um, relatively fresh. I think their midfield has the upper hand in terms of just being better prepared. But I don't underestimate the 200 million machines we have. I think they are very, very capable of, you know, taking a little bit of a breather and then going at it again. Plus, Korn got a good rest against Italy. He was on the bench. 
So hopefully he'll be fired up uh, to show that he belongs next to the two other guys. Yeah, I think at the end of the day that that might end up being where the Hollywood magic is in terms of entertainment for this match. I, I mean, we're talking about our, like you said, $200 million beast of a machine uh, in Enzo and Caicedo and our hardworking Conor Gallagher, who's impressed everyone so far this season, I think it's safe to say, going against what is another super-funded midfield in uh, Martin Odegaard and Declan Rice. Odegaard less so, but if you bought him 10 years ago, he might have been. <laughs> um, but needless to say, I think it's it's going to be a wild matchup, uh, especially if we get to see or Jorginho or Kai Havertz, um, our, our very own, you could call them maybe, uh, show up in the match. I, I think that's going to be where the match is is getting a little flared up, getting a little interesting at times. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the midfield challenges there. And also, just we've talked a lot about our attack. What do you see our front three looking like in this match? I know we've talked a lot about Madrick um, just now, but who else do you see up there with him? I think the striker discussion maybe could be a winner this time. You might actually... Get a proper prediction now that we've seen a little more action from our, our our boys up top here. What do you what do you what do you expect, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I still don't know about Nico Jackson because he did pull out of um, <laughs> international duty with the surgery that he had on his on his wrist. Yeah, um, I I think and hope he should be ready to play. So um, I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that one. But without any Broya, I mean, I'm I'm hundred percent hoping he starts there. Um, on the right-hand side, Noni Madueke had a pretty great international weekend. Um, he scored three in two for the under-21s. But obviously, I think Palmer is definitely going to start. What I really like about what Pochettino did with um, the team in preseason was that the way to incorporate Mudrik was to basically have one guy on the right-hand side who's able to play in a more half space kind of a pocket where he's able to be a part of the other three midfielders and create you know this four man midfield this box midfield which is able to overwhelm the three man midfield that Arsenal is going to play so mm. uh, in preseason we saw Muzik on the left hand side and interestingly against Dortmund I think it was uh, Ian Martin was on the right hand side and how it worked was Muzik was just standing out wide while Martin was playing very close to to Jackson, uh, just behind him. And, and he obviously had three other midfielders making a box with him. So effective interchanges, narrow sort of midfield position, able to m- sort of minimize the distances to counter press as quickly as possible. So maybe that's something that helps us as well. Just having Palmer, who's comfortable in those central spaces. He's also a very good shooter of the ball from those situations. So I think that's the front three. It just looks like, um, you know, is it is Raheem going to play on the right-hand side slot or is Palmer a better tactical fit? So um, if Raheem Sterling does play, then obviously it's going to be a very interesting equation as to how do we then compete against um, Arsenal's midfield, especially with Declan Rice and Odegaard mm-hmm. playing there. Um, uh, that's what Poch's big dilemma is going to be. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm guessing with the balance that our midfielders had with Gallagher, Caicedo and Enzo, I think those three guys definitely start. But you never know after an international break, if he does assess that one of them is a little bit behind, um, could bench him and then, you know, play Mudrik, uh, Palmer and Sterling behind Jackson. You never know. I mean, those kind of surprises have happened as well. But I would say the three-man midfield is arguably has arguably been one of our stronger 
aspects of successful run that we've had and uh, virtue of experience, I just, I guess it would be Sterling and Mutrik um, yeah. and Jackson. I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I I definitely think that's the biggest question mark is the Palmer, Rahim um, could go either way. Uh, it, it's very tough to say because I think they both do bring unique perks to this game. I think what you've what you've just talked about with Palmer's ability to float into the middle and kind of support the midfield, I do think we've seen a really powerful effect from that. Um, but it, it is just also does Pochettino kind of jump to an experienced point of view um, and put Raheem in that position to kind of try to facilitate some one v one action. Um, I think either one could be an incredible effect on the match. I'm sure we'll see some of both throughout the match. I'm sure somebody will come in as a substitute. But I do think that I'm erring on the side of Palmer starting. I think kind of that 1v1 effect can be a really effective thing to substitute in, um, especially as the game kind of wears on and there's a lot of pressing, a lot of aggression. I think a player like Raheem Sterling coming in late when the frustration has grown and maybe... Um, the tiredness has grown. We can kind of see the effect of a 1v1 a little greater. So I'm expecting a Modric, um, Jackson, Palmer front three to start. But we'll, we'll see. It could really, like you said, and like we've learned from each of the prediction episodes, it could be anything. Uh, I don't think that's unfair to say at all, especially after an international break. Um, but it's not just about our attacks, not just about our midfield. We're going to cover our last base. We've already spoken a little bit about our team's ability to win some headers. I don't think it's unfair to say that the defense could be pretty involved, even in an attacking perspective, if we manage to win some set pieces or play a little further up when it comes to throwing the ball in or whatever it may be. I don't think it's unfair to say that a defense could be involved, not just defensively, but attacking-wise. What do you make of our defense for this match? Who do you think could come in as a change? Um, obviously, the Reese James is a big question. Uh, Malagusto could be there. I don't think we're too worried about that. So maybe let's talk about the center backs, the shape. What do you expect from this match? Yeah, I think this is going to be arguably the aspect of the game that decides who wins or who draws. Um, yeah, probably going to be our sternest challenge when it comes to just handling a quality attack. I think if Saka is fit, I don't think we've had a, a challenge that brutal. Obviously, we saw Mitoma against Kukureya in, in the Cup, which was a very interesting battle because um, Mitoma seemed to have the upper hand, uh, Joao Pedro seemed to have the upper hand, and then something happened to Kukureya post the 50th minute, and he just <laughs> absolutely went on to, to win, you know, MOTM kind of performance there. But um, yeah, the initial, like the game against Liverpool, we saw Salah and Diaz both sort of create a lot of issues. And I suspect that if you've got Martinelli and Saka against whoever the right back is, I don't know if it's going to be Gusto. I think he's available again, yes? So I think yeah, Gusto could he's be back from suspension. Yeah. yeah, so he's going to be on the right-hand side. Then I breathe a little easier, but Colville against Saka, um, that could be a very intriguing battle. I would say Colville has had his very good moments, but he's also had some some tough times. I think it's acclimatizing to the Premier League and, and playing in a very, very different position. Uh, it's an extremely tough position for a centre-back to play, but credit to him, he's adapted very well. But I think that could be an interesting uh, debate to have. Uh, even when you've got the calibre of, say, Martin Odegaard picking up spaces in front of Desasi and, and Silva. Desasi, for example, somebody who likes standing off in terms of defending. 
Um, how proactive is he going to be against, you know, defend uh, against attackers who are going to be drawing him out and consistently trying to get shots on goal? I think, like in terms of the caliber of the opposition we've seen, I don't even know if you're going to have much of the ball. Um, a lot of the times we were first in the Premier League for possession uh, for the longest time, and then the last three games we just consciously decided not to have the ball at all. So I don't know if it was like dress rehearsal for Arsenal saying, have the ball and we'll show you what we can do on the break. But I think that's going to be a very interesting equation to keep in mind. It's it's arguably going to be the toughest test for our defense. And, and if they keep a clean sheet, I might as just be, well be like extremely bold and say we will finish uh, fourth to sixth somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all very fair to say. All right. It's time. I'm doing it again. One more ad break. But when we come back, we are doing some fun. We're going to have our predictions. If you know me, come on. For the long time, one of those blue listeners, Sam, this is pre you being super involved production wise. I don't know how much you listened. I've made some pretty big predictions in the past. So this is the part where I, I come to shine. I'm going to make the worst predictions you've ever heard in your life right now. But we're going to pretend like I'm going to pull out my Marcus Alonso guess from years ago. If anybody remembers that peak of my career. So we'll be right back. Thank you so much to our sponsors and we'll see you in a second. All right, Sam, we are back in action for prediction time. It's the time where we get to make a fool out of ourselves. Almost certainly we've spoken quite a bit about the predicted 11. Uh, I'll just open it up to you. Do you have anything that you feel like you haven't touched on in the predicted 11? We've done the front three. We've pretty much predicted the midfield. I mean, I think it's safe to say Enzo, Caicedo, and Connor there, almost certainly, I think. Um, and we've pretty much covered the back four. Reese is a question mark that nobody knows the answer to. I will say the club released photos today. Mind you, we're doing this before the press conference. You, you might have heard the press conference by the time this comes out. But the club released photos today of training from this morning. I did not see Reese in any of the photos. I feel like they would have made a big deal out of it, but maybe they're hiding something. I don't know. Could be anything. But I'll leave it up to you, Sam. Is there anything that you feel like we haven't touched on on our 11 that seems to be pretty similarly aligned that you want to talk about? Um, Maybe just a tiny detail in terms of, I don't know if people have been following, but Cole Palmer went off with a dead leg um, in the first U21 game. So um, it was apparently precautionary to send him back home from the England camp just to make sure that it wasn't being aggravated. So we are making our lineups on, again, the assumption that everybody is fit. So in case that happened, then we probably would have said, look, the Burnley lineup worked very well. Um, obviously, Armando is not around, but we have Nico back. So let's just say Nico and Sterling started on the left-hand side instead of Mudrik and then Palmer on the right-hand side. But also remember that um, Palmer's got a dead leg. Nico's just got a surgery. We don't know about that. So... Um, lots of variables here, but like Jake rightly said, we're doing this before the presser. We don't know what the situation is, so it could be anything. And and a lot of these things aren't sort of like particularly about us getting anything wrong, but in terms of just the guys in the back room saying, look, this guy's not as fit as we want him to be, and and we think that this is going to work better. Uh, yeah. I don't know if people know, but uh, Pochettino in his, in the biography on on his uh, time as Tottenham actually actually dropped a player because. Uh, he picked pasta to eat before his pre-match meal. So you never know with Pochettino what's going to happen. So just a little bit of a tidbit there. So that could be anything, I guess. I'm going to say it. I think that's the right decision. Uh, I grew up playing 
my whole life. And I definitely had some games where it was like one hot dog before the game. Game over. I might as well have not been on the field. I'm just saying. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's all really going to rely on what we hear in the next couple of days and, and what's going on behind the scenes. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see Raheem playing like a false nine at this point. Like you said, Nico's up in the air. Broya's not going to be here. It's anything's really possible. <laughs> like we have honestly no idea ever, but you've heard our thoughts. But what's your, what's your big prediction? Are you going 17 nil to Chelsea or are you going a little bit more <laughs> modest? I was going to like, how do I work into this without us uh, sounding like crazy people when we do a score prediction? I, I think, I think I'm going to be a little not overconfident for once. And I'm going to say that we end up in a one, one draw. That's really scrappy. I think it's going to be a mess. I'm, I'm talking mm-hmm. like I think people are possibly leaving the pitch. Wow. I, I think it's going to be a bit of a messier game than people realize. I, I think that these two teams have a lot of weird tension going on, even though maybe it's not necessarily deserved off of results right now. I think there is like a weird vibe, especially with the Havertz, Jorginho, uh, Mudrick. You know, there's just like all these weird little storylines floating around, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of infected the mental a little bit. And that, that's super interesting, though, you point that out. I mean, those those things are unconscious things that we tend to ignore, but, you know, you never know. Those things just play into the game. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, thinking back to summer, I mean, this would have been... If we had started the season very well and uh, not kind of taken a moment to get started, I, I think this is one of the hot games of the beginning of the season. I mean, all summer chatter was surrounding... I mean, whether it's the transfer stories of... Uh, Havertz doing his like presentation for joining Arsenal like at a, uh, Jorginho's wedding. I think it was Jorginho's Kepa, wedding. Kepa's wedding. Kepa's wedding and just like all the drama surrounding that. Like there's just weird storylines and you never really know what's going on behind the scenes as a team mental, but could be interesting. But yeah, that's my score prediction, Sam. Bottom, bottom line. So you're going to give me what, what score prediction are you going with? Like a, a scrappy 1-1? A 1-1 draw, a messy 1-1 draw. Okay. Um, so, wait, I wanted to ask you before I give you my prediction. Are you able to edit the pod, like, post posting it? I can go, like, 1-0, 2-0, Yeah, we'll change up the file, and it'll just, it'll all be perfect. And then when people are like, well, I, I listened. Let me get one prediction right on, the pre- uh, on like, a preview <laughs> pod. Please, my reputation is on the line. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah. think yeah, I think it's going to be like a um I, I would probably go with the same score and like a one one. Um this is me being at my optimistic best. I think yeah. um it could be a reality check also. I, I'm hugely very optimistic, but I'm going to be very realistic and say, look, um Arsenal are, you know, much well prepared than we are in terms of where they are in the in their project and how well recovered their midfield is compared to ours. So I would say like even a narrow defeat isn't out of the question, but I'm hoping and I'm thinking it's going to be like a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I, I I think a lot of people will hear the way we spoke about this match and be like, this isn't, you guys aren't being very nice to us. And it's like, the reality is if you look at the timeline of Arsenal over the past three, four years, they were where we were like two years ago. You know, they've been through the manager drama. They've been through... That we're not good enough. The team's too young. The experience isn't there, and and they've come out of it. You know, they've come out of it strong, and they've had time to build upon that weakness in the past and kind of create a sturdy team that knows what they're doing. 
And I don't think we'll, we'll take long to get there as well. I think we've already shown signs that we can be there. But it, it, the reality is it is tough to come against a side that has an identity like that, that knows who they are, when we're uh, still kind of forming the picture, especially when we have all the injuries and et cetera, et cetera, all the stuff we've talked about already. But we we love Chelsea. We're just, we're, we're you know, we're playing the pundit role. We're putting our hats on. We promise. Um, but yeah, I mean, that being said, do you have a, do you have a goal score? Do you think? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, let's, yeah, let's go with your little, um, storyline sort of woven into the game and say, Muzrik's going to get a score and do a knee slide in front of the Emirates. <laughs> let's go with that. That Bang would on. definitely be the headline maker. Uh, yeah, I think that would be beautiful. I think that's a storybook written in the stars. I'm going to adversely say though. That I think my I also wrote this story earlier that the game's gonna go on, it's gonna be scrappy, it's gonna be messy. I think we see Raheem come on and and either win a penalty and somebody scores or he scores outright. I think somehow he's just gonna create some mess if he gets to come on as a substitute, um, assuming he's not playing like a false nine or something. But yeah, that's my that's my prediction there. And I won't lie, Sam, I think that pretty much Brings us to the end of the game. Do you have any other weird predictions? You got any like streakers coming on the field? Or? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking um, for the Arsenal scorer. Are you thinking like Kai Havertz scores and then he <laughs> cries a little bit because of the Champions League winner? Or is it Declan Rice going into like his childhood mode and remembering all the times he's been sent to like Stamford Bridge and he wanted to come and play with us? Uh, I think my brain almost exploded <laughs> imagining Kai Havertz like scoring oh, and kissing the badge. No, we're not even going to talk about any of that. You know what? <laughs> Let's just say it's Martinelli and get the heck out of there. That is terrible. Oh, my goodness. Nightmares. We're going to be having bad dreams now. <laughs> going to wake up to watch the match and I'm going to be shivering. Like, <laughs> As long as it's a 1-1, one, one, uh, I mean, as long as like we have any score on either side, I think we would be happy with the results. This is very true. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It, honestly, if anybody on their team scores and we eke a draw, then who cares who it is at that point? Okay. Kai Havertz or, or or Jorginho could do a backflip, and then if we draw, I'm, I'm okay with it, whatever. Good for them, I guess. But, yeah, those are some bold predictions, I think. I think we've we've covered the bases. We've gone a little tactical. We've gone a little goofy. We've, we've really covered our ground here. Um, again... Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, do go reach out to the YouTube if you want to see me in my house that I'm slowly decorating and also my dog, Major, that's been walking around behind me sitting on the couch looking cute during this. That's your Easter egg. Go check that out. Subscribe. We're almost at 30K. We want to get there. We were getting really good subscriber numbers for a little bit there, and we've slowed down a bit. So bring the train back into the station. Let's get it going. Sam, Thank you so much for being here with me. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better guest to be on my rare pod. It's basically you and Ollie nowadays and I'm on and you guys are two great gents, I would say. So appreciate you, Thank you working with me on this. Thank you so much. I mean, it's always nice to have the three musketeers do some nice goofy stuff on the pod. So thank you for all you do. And I'm really, really thankful that you've come on the pod because genuinely the amount of credit you deserve is is a billion times more than what you get. So thank you for being uh, all, the the entire tour de force behind the podcast. So, you know, hope to see you here more often. 
leave it to Sam to to say the sweetest things. But appreciate you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, I have been a somewhat decent host. I am definitely more of the editor man when it comes to making this happen. So appreciate you guys. Reach out on socials with your predictions. Let us know what you thought about the pod. Check out the links in the description. Everything, the whole nine yards. Uh, And until the match, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Oh,